Come on, Summit Park. How you feeling today? Let's go. Let's go. You guys can take a seat. I'm so honored to be here. Um, it's my sixth time. Bit of a Summit Park stalker. So, not really, but I love it here. Um, you love Jesus? Just checking. Just checking. Just making sure. You love your pastors? Scott and Jen? I, uh, I know um, this place is incredibly blessed. It's just getting started with the blessing. I also know that uh, with blessing in a beautiful design, God gives equal part burden. The blessing is the burden. And the blessing's visible, and the burden oftentimes is only felt by leadership. And um, that's a high price. And I know you love it, and you're made for it, uh, but keep it up. And uh, we got your back. We love you guys. Can we honor your leaders? Um, I leave inspired every time I come here, so thank you. I want to read uh, four verses from the Word of God, if that's okay. All right, good. I was going to do it anyways, but uh, Matthew chapter 16, and this is a very pivotal, critical moment in history, a moment between Jesus and Peter Starting in verse 13, here we go. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street about me, boys? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus flips it on them. He says, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen? Amen. This sermon is called Believing is Becoming. Believing is Becoming. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for starting a good work within every one of us and promising to complete it. We love you. We have no desire just to do church. We want to encounter the living God. So have your way. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right. Well, I wanted to start with an announcement about your life, and we'll have a graph that, uh, or a slide that sort of illustrates what I'm about to say. But you right now are heading towards a destination called the future you. The only question is, who is the future you? So all of us right now in real time are in the process of becoming. The only question is, who are you becoming? And I kind of want to demystify the future a little bit today. Sometimes we, we, we think of the future me and we go, such a mystery who I'll be. I actually think it's going to make complete sense that you in 10 years, you in 20 years, are simply just going to be the sum total of all your thoughts, beliefs, prayers, actions, and decisions. The future you will make complete sense. To put it simple, you will get to where you're going to one step at a time. I remember when I turned 18, and I couldn't believe how many banks deemed me worthy of my very own credit card. <laughs> Literally the day that I turned 18, I thought, it's about time somebody saw the value in me, Wells Fargo. Thank you. I will take a credit card. To quote Michael Scott, I'm very impressed with the potential you see in me. Yeah. <laughs> I also remember about a month later, 
getting my very first credit card statement in the mail, opening it and thinking, who's pranking me right now? Like, did I just get somebody else's mail? There is no way I spent that much money in a month. This is so crazy thinking, how did I get here? Such a mystery. Or is it? Because they do you the favor of outlining every step you take to get there. Chipotle credit card, or Chipotle toll road, Chipotle toll road, Chipotle with guac, extra dollar fifty toll road. New jeans, new shoes, happy hour, happy hour, Chipotle toll road. I'm not a complicated man, church, and this is not a complicated concept, but it is real. That you will get to where you're going to one step at a time. The future you will not be an accident, it'll be entirely evident. And if you don't like where you're going, well then now is the time to change it so that the future me is the the me I want to be. This sermon in one sentence, in case you space out for the rest of it, is this. The thoughts you believe will determine the person you become. Isn't that good? The thoughts you believe will determine the person you become. And if that's true, then the question to follow that statement is this. What do you have to believe in order to become who you want to be. In other words, if I want the future me to be the joyful, peaceful version of me, and I do, if I want the future me to be more confident, and I do, if I want me in the future to be a better father and a better husband and a better pastor and a better friend, if I want me in the future to be the thriving version of me and not just the surviving version of me, well then what do I have to believe today in order to become who I am? want to be. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Craig Rochelle once said it this way, your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Now, if that's true, are you excited about the direction your strongest thoughts are taking you? Do you ever stop to think about what you think about? Because believing is becoming. What do I have to believe today in order to become who I want to be? Now, in Peter's case, Jesus makes it a little bit more specific and asks Peter what he believes about God. This is verse 15. I'll read it one more time. Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? You know, A.W. Tozer once said that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And I couldn't agree more that at some point, every person on the planet has to answer the question, who is Jesus to you? Because Romans 14, 11 says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. And call me a simpleton, but I just believe if that's true about then, then I just think it's better to be bowing our knees and acknowledging that he's God now. One thing I've heard a lot over the last few years when it comes to different social topics and cultural issues is this phrase, make sure you're on the right side of history. 
And while I completely understand that, I want to be so bold and expand on it and say, church, there is coming a moment, there is coming a day when every knee of every, every human being in existence, past, present, and future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And if that's true, then make no mistake about it, this church exists to make sure as many people as possible are on the right side of that moment in history that part of history which side are you on the thoughts you believe will determine the person you become what do you believe about God if you believe God to be some tyrannical bully God who just wants to take from you and demand from you and would strike you dead even for thinking about walking into the Lord's house today after the week you've had what's wrong with you well, then, like it or not, that belief about God will shape who you're becoming. And all I can think is I can't wait for you to find out how wrong you are and how good this God really is. You know, the whole lightning bolt thing is Zeus, not God. <laughs> That's Hercules, right? Not the Bible. We all, you know, when I, hear, when I hear people say, I do a lot of pastoral meetings, and a very, very common belief is God's mad at me. A lot of Christians believe God's mad at me. All I think is, oh, you believe that because you don't, you don't really know him. Knowing him will change that. When I, when I watch Christians take the amazing grace of Jesus and treat it as a cheap get-out-of-hell-free card, hey, JC, thanks for the grace. I'm going to live how I want and do what I want. I go, oh, you don't, you don't fully get the gospel. You don't quite get how good this God really is and how much he just wants to, to give to you. If you believe that you've outsinned his mercy or that you're somehow better at messing up than he is at saving you, like you're the one person who has shocked him with your ability to sin. If you believe that, that he doesn't see you, if you just assume that he's not working in your life all because you don't, you don't observe him working in your life, well, then like it or not, those beliefs about God will shape who you are becoming in God. Maybe over the last few years, you've just, life's, you've just taken some hits in life, and it's, got, it's, it's given your faith a beating, and it's gotten your hopes down. I feel like God told me this week, some of us just need to make a decision today, or maybe re-up today on this is what I believe about God. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to choose. There is power in a decision. And a lot of us hang out in, in sort of this, this indecision, which James 1 likens to being a little boat at sea in a storm without an anchor, blown and tossed about by the wind. And you just need to simply decide, this is what I believe about God. You've been hanging out in sort of the gray area between this is what I believe or that's what I believe. And, and you're calling it being thorough, but really you're procrastinating. And it's, it's you're, you're anxious because you're not standing on a firm foundation. And what I'm saying is today, you need to decide to decide. This is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about the word of God. This is what I believe about the power of God to change my life and heal my marriage. This is what I believe about the amazing grace of Jesus to make me a brand new creation every single day. I think a lot of us have been talking ourselves out of the promises of God. And all that tells me is you also have the ability to talk yourself back into the promises of God. Don't you dare let your experiences determine your theology. You decide today. My theology frames my experiences. You decide that. You own that. Why? Because believing is becoming. So what do you believe about God? 
So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it. Eleven minutes and thirty seconds into this message, what do you believe about God? Who is Jesus to you? Because above any new ad or product that promises to fix you, and beyond any new leader or institution claiming to be the way, or any new idea, or any new mindset, or whatever the the, the spiritual syncretism cocktail of 2023 is, that's already different than 2022 because that didn't work. Above and beyond any of that, there is only one answer, one solution to, to the longings of the human soul. There is only one way and one truth and one life. There is one God who began the good work in you. And there is one God who will take that on to completion. And he is not a collection of principles. And he is not a religion. He is a person. And his name is Jesus here to know you. And every history book will tell you there really was a man named Jesus who walked this planet 2,000 years ago. That's not a question. That's not up for debate. And the word of God will tell you he really was God with skin on. And that he really did live a perfect life in order to forgive the sins of anybody who would confess him to be their Lord and Savior, including you. And three days later, he really did conquer the grave and walk out of his tomb. And 500 eyewitnesses really did hang out with him over the next 40-day period. And his best friends really did die for this movement because they believed it so much. And the church really has done nothing but blaze like an unstoppable wildfire, even in the face of unrelenting opposition for the last 2,000 years by his crucifixion You've been set free by his resurrection. You now get to live free, and it's no coincidence you're here at Summit Park Church today so some random guest preacher can ask you, who is Jesus to you? And what do you believe about God? Verse 16, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that believing was the beginning of Peter's becoming. So now let me flip this on you. I know you're thinking it's 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday. I don't need a twist in church, okay? But let me flip this on you. Once you decide what you believe about God, maybe a lot of you have, you also need to decide what you believe God believes about you. I picture Derek Zoolander looking up at the stars. God, who am I? (laughs) Your answer to that question will determine who you become. And I am so convinced. You know my prayer for you all week has been, if you could just see yourself for three seconds the way God sees you. From his vantage point, you could see you for three seconds. You'd be forever changed. And that brings me to Peter. I want to actually rewind the clock a little bit more to the the day Jesus and Peter met for the very first time. And I love Peter, man, because he goes from, I can relate to him, he goes from answering the question right, the very first human to get that question right, who is Jesus, the son of the living God, to he, a few months later, he's denying even knowing Jesus to a 12-year-old girl at a bonfire. This is Peter who is walking on water, that Peter, to cutting ears off of soldiers, to preaching the gospel boldly to thousands of people. Peter is the cussing disciple who always had something to say. How many can relate to Peter, right? I love this guy. 
John 1 tells us the story of the first day Peter and Jesus met because at that time, his name wasn't Peter yet. It was Simon. John 1.35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And by the way, that's not the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin John. Lots of Johns, lots of Marys, got to pay attention. The next day, John the baptizer was standing with two of his disciples, looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold, it's the Lamb of God. It's a really bold statement. So two of his disciples heard him say this, and they started following Jesus. And so I want you to get into this scene with me. Because John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever walk this planet other than Jesus, and Jesus said that about John. But he was also an interesting cat. He was a bit of a character. Scripture says he was kind of a loner, and his fashion was made of camel fur, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. So if you can just picture this small group, imagine you're walking through the park, and under the tree is a powwow session of John and his boys, and everybody's wearing camel and eating bugs dipped in honey. I'm like, this is so Austin. This is in Austin. You'd see that, and the typical Austinite walks by and goes, right on. I totally get that. It's not cool to follow Jesus, but that's cool. I'm done. I'm done. Um, <laughs> verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? You know, everybody's seeking. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, well, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew goes to find his brother, Simon, and says to him, we have found, and back in that day, everybody's waiting for the Messiah, so this is a big deal. We found the Messiah, which means Christ, and brought his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And by the way, this is the Great Commission made simple. And the Great Commission should be simple. You are God's plan for your friends. You are God's plan for your coworkers. And you don't need a theology degree. You don't need to understand all apologetics. You don't need all the answers. Apparently, you don't got to be knowing Jesus for three minutes. You just need to know how to bring your people to him. Come and experience what God thinks about you. Jesus looked at him and said, you are, this is so crazy. This is just weird. You are Simon, the son of John. That's a, another John. A third John. And not third John the letter, but just a third human named John. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So that's awkward, because Simon shows up, or Andrew shows up and says, hey, hey, Jesus, I know I just met you, but this is my brother, Simon, and Jesus takes one look at Simon and goes, I know you, Simon, I know everything about you, and I'm going to call you Peter, Pete for short, is that cool, doesn't matter, I'm God, I'm going to do whatever I want, <laughs> and back then, your name was your identity, so Jesus just changed this guy's identity, immediately changed it. It's as if he says, hey, Simon, I know everything about you. I love you exactly the way you are. And I love you way too much to let you leave here the same. I know what the world says about you, 
Simon. This, though, is what I say about you, Cephas, Peter, Pete, which means rock. Peter just got 2 Corinthians 5.17'd by Jesus. Here it is. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, God designed you. Let God define you. Don't let a world that didn't design you define you. Let's just, let's just agree to let the designer do the defining. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, somebody say in Christ. So that is now your new position in Christ. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So Jesus just gave Simon a brand new name. Hey, Simon, the old is gone, the new is here. You will now be called Peter, which means rock. Because even though Jesus knows Peter is going to go on to royally fail him again and again and again, that this Peter is going to go on to, to mess up on multiple occasions, Jesus still hands Peter the keys to the kingdom. Because Jesus sees the end from the beginning. And he also knows what Peter will become. He also sees the future him. He knows Peter will go on to become the rock that the church of Jesus is founded on that not even the gates of hell will prevail against. He knows Peter will go on to, to preach boldly to thousands. He knows Peter will go on to voluntarily die a martyr's death in 68 AD. He sees all of that from the beginning. And so he calls him a, a new name and changes his identity, check this out, before Peter does any of it. So he didn't earn his identity. You're a child of God, not by your worth, but by your birth. That's kind of how being a kid works. This will be on the screen behind me. There is a person in Christ you already are positionally, and now you're learning to live like it's true practically. There is a person in Christ you already are positionally, and now you're just learning to live like it's true practically. So Jesus gives you a new identity in order to change what you believe about yourself. Why? Because believing is becoming. Your actions flow from your identity. Your behaviors stem from what you believe. For instance, if you're trying to quit smoking and somebody offers you a cigarette, it's the difference between saying, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit, versus, no, thank you, I'm not a smoker anymore. Only the second has the power to change because the second speaks to who you are, speaks to your identity. That's why 90% of resolutions, is it, fail by Valentine's Day? Because all of them just are, are you trying to change behavior? I'm trying to change what I do without getting to the who. That's, the, that's what makes the gospel of Jesus so powerful. It pierces your soul and goes straight to your identity and changes your name. And the more you understand who you are, the more you'll start to live like you believe that it's true. There is a person you already are in Christ Jesus, and now you're just learning to, to live like it's, like it's true. So if we can put that the next, the next one up. So I have me today, and I'm trying to become the future me that I want to be. And if believing is coming, then what, if believing is becoming, then what do you believe about you today? Because what I'll say to you is you know God will call you righteous while you're still an addict 
You know God will call you holy while you are very much a work in progress? You know you are already, even though you're not yet? That, think about that, too hard, you'll need some Advil. (laughs) That you are positionally perfect, that's called salvation. And it happens like that. And that's how God sees you. So one day I'm going to stand in front of a mighty God and all I'm going to have to plead is the blood of Christ. And it's all I need. And it's free. And there's no catch. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. And I trade my very defeated record for his undefeated record. And his white as snow resume is mine. As soon as you do that, that's how God sees you. In Christ, that's your position. You are made perfect and you are now being made perfect, practically. That's called sanctification. But you don't earn that new name once you arrive. You're given that new name. And then the lifestyle changes, the behavior changes. Is not for salvation, but from it. Once again, he will call you righteous while you're still an addict. Whatever your thing is, that thing is not define you. God defines you. This is who he says you are. And the more you start to believe it, the more you'll start to act like it. There's a person you already are in Christ. And the more you believe it, the more you'll start to live like it's true practically. I mean, go read, go read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament. You know the Apostle Paul was a church planter. He'd plant churches, and then he'd, he'd go and plant the next church, and then he would write letters back to the churches that he, he planted to, to admonish them and encourage them and challenge them. And just go look at how he addresses it, the very first thing he writes, because he doesn't start his letters with, to all the adulterers and addicts in Corinth. He could, though. He goes on to address all of that and more in the letter. He doesn't say to all the broken people in Galatia. He, doesn't, he wouldn't even say to all the sinners saved by grace at Summit Park Church. Because that, that's what happened to you. That's your story. But is it who you are? Notice, go read them. Paul says to the elect, to the saints to the chosen ones who are already made holy in God, grace and peace to you. That's what he calls them. He is not saying that they act like it yet, but he is saying it's who they are already, amen? So let me leave you with two questions. The first one is this. If believing is becoming, what beliefs do you need to build in order to become? What do you believe about God? What do you believe God believes about you? If you want the future you to be a healthier version of you, then you need to start building the belief that your body is a gift from God and a temple of the Holy Spirit and not just a prison in which your soul is trapped, but but a beautiful thing that God gave you that is intricately connected to your your mind and spirit and they affect each other. If you want the future you to be a more generous version of you and not, and, and act, and like, because you are generous, not because you have good intentions. Every, you know who else has good intentions of generosity? Everybody on the planet. But you want the future version of you to be, no, that, 
He, she is a generous person. Then today, you need to start building the, the mindset that he's a God of abundance so you stop limiting what he wants to do in your life and through your life. You need to start building the belief that God loves to, to bless stuff like obedience and stewardship maybe more than anything else. If you want the future you to be uh, relationally thriving, then you need to start building the belief that you have something to contribute. That you don't need to audition for a place in the room. You don't need to audition for a place in this church. You're part of his workmanship, given something to do. People like you. People want to hear what you have to say. You are worthy of love. You need to start building these beliefs, or else the lack of them will be the barrier to who you're becoming. So what beliefs do you need to build? And then an equally important question, if not more important, what beliefs do you need to bury? How many know sometimes the process of becoming has more to do with subtraction than addition? What thoughts do you need to bury? When my wife and I met, we met on a mission trip in Jamaica, started dating, um, a month in, broke up, on Valentine's Day. That's my bad. It's another story for another day. <laughs> Got back together a month later on another mission trip. I know how Christian this sounds, okay? <laughs> and it started going really well and led to engagement, and we were on our way to getting married, but there was a barrier to who we were becoming, and the barrier was shame. So Sam didn't have a, my wife, she didn't have a sexual past. I did, and she saw me as a forgiven guy, but not necessarily a new creation in Christ, and there is a big difference between those two, and if I'm being honest with you, I think I saw myself the same way, and it caused so many fights and so much dysfunction. And our premarital counselors, Justin and Andy Matat, we would go over to their house every other Wednesday evening for dinner and then sit on the couch after for good conversation about life and love and a future marriage. And one night, my past came up again for like the 10th time. And all of a sudden, Justin, his demeanor changed. He got really fierce and like protective all of a sudden. And he sort of gave us like an ultimatum. He said, guys, you need to decide Nothing more spiritual than to choose. You need to decide tonight to see each other the way God sees you, which is a new creation. The former life is what it says, actually a former life. Is that just a cool thought because we're Christians so we say it, or is that a core belief of your identity? You need to decide that you believe that, or if you can't, you need to have the bravery to break up. Because that shame will be a cancer to your marriage. And where you're going, that can't come. So I saw this play out in line at, at, at security a couple weeks ago at the airport. Because this guy was freaking out like a five-year-old because the poor TSA lady um, was informing him that his carry-on bag was in fact not a carry-on bag. It was too big and he had to check it and he said, it's fine, I can carry it on. She said, it's not fine, you can't carry it on. And he started to freak out a little bit on her. I, I thought about getting involved, but I realized, oh, homegirl doesn't need any help from me because she, she handled it and kind of put him in his place. She said, okay, sir, here's the deal. You can stay with your bag. <laughs> but your bag stay in here. 
It's not going through. I saw this. I went, got him. Got him. And she was my angel messenger from heaven with the sermon metaphor that I needed because how often is God saying that exact same thing to us? He's, he's going, man, the destination I have in mind for you, the future you that I see, the good plans I have for your life. I mean, church, if I know my father, then I know my father has good plans for your life. But he's saying where I'm trying to take you, that can't go. That belief that you have, we travel light. That's called baggage. And how many of us just like this guy, I picture this guy just hugging his baggage. So I just, I can't let this go. I can't let this go. And for me and Sam, we realized that night, heaven does not let shame through security. And we had to make a decision to bury it. God, do I see myself, is the new really here and the old really gone Am I a new creation and that's truly a former life? Because stuff like shame will rot like the human bones, man. It really will because your sin does not keep God from you. Jesus made sure of that. But your shame will keep you from running to him. And that's why maybe you feel, I mean, for me and Sam, like we, we were stuck. Like what, what, what's the barrier to who we're becoming? Maybe that's why you feel stuck in your faith and you have been for a while it's because you, you're trying to take something with you that heaven's not letting through security. And that, I mean, that scarcity mindset that has you believing God won't really provide for me if I start doing my finances his way. Or that imposter syndrome that has you trying to desperately perform in order to prove yourself in every room that you walk into. You have to drop it. That can't go with. That mindset of God can use people, just not me. I'm, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm too something in between or I'm too poor or I'm too used up or I'm too messed up. You need to drop that and bury it because it can't go with you. Stuff like unforgiveness, stuff like bitterness, that thing that happened 12 years ago. You don't even talk about it anymore. It wasn't your fault, but it is your prison. You get supernatural help with that kind of stuff if you're willing to, to release it and say, God, okay, help me give it to you. Help me bury this and, 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 and resolve to never dig it up again. I'm not pretending to know the pain. I'm not trying to offer you cold comfort or pretend this is easier than it sounds. I, I know it's not. All I'm saying is you've got the grit in you and you're up for it. And God has such good plans where he's trying to take you, such good things in mind for your future, but it's as if he's saying, to you, I'm not going to let you go through security and spend the rest of your life believing you're worthless when I actually believe you're worth dying for. And you need to bury that here. You need to not dig it up again because it's time to walk in the victory, the fullness of victory that is rightfully yours in Christ Jesus. And for me and Sam, we somehow just dropped it that night. And, and a topic that used to cause so much pain and dysfunction, we now make jokes about and laugh about together. You tell me the grace of Jesus isn't real, the power of the Holy Spirit, how set free we are, how much of new creations we are. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is new with every single breath that you take. You are so much more than just a forgiven person. I saw a clip about this on Instagram a couple weeks ago. It got me thinking. It made me laugh that there's this quote that, that sounds good. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I'm like, that, that tweets really well. Is it entirely true? I mean, the first part is, Christians not being perfect? Yeah. I know me. But just forgiven? 
So then you're, you're just forgiven then. How many of us use just forgiven as the perfect excuse to not walk in the fullness of victory that is ours in Christ Jesus? Do you know the power that is yours by the blood of Jesus Christ? You are so much more than just forgiven. How, how often do we throw that out like, in, like the perfect excuse? I've got the, the same old, same old patterns as I had 10 years ago, and they're going to be my same patterns a decade from today. And to tell you the truth, kind of apathetic about it at this point, kind of tired of battling, tired of trying, doesn't really bother me as much anymore. The, the same generational curses my parents passed on to me, I'm just going to pass them on to my kids and, 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 and just going to, I, I know there's freedom, I know there's, I know there's more victory for me, but I refuse to forgive, I refuse to release, I refuse to make war against that thing, I refuse to invite God into this, I refuse to give him this part of my life, but I'm forgiven. And I'm not trying to downplay forgiveness. You are forgiven. It is the most precious gift from the most epic sacrifice the universe will ever know. I'm just saying, it's the starting line, Christian, not the finish line. You are so much more than just forgiven. So what do you need to build? What beliefs do you need to build? Because believing is becoming. Your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What do you believe God believes about you? He's not mad at you. You know how much he hates the shame that you, you heap on yourself and the lies you believe the enemy whispers to you, the lies you tell yourself about yourself that couldn't be farther from the truth, straight from the pit of hell, but we, we almost think this is, I'll punish myself because God will be nicer to me if he sees how I'm, I'm punishing myself for two weeks because of how I royally messed up. And he's going, run to my throne, son, with confidence to the throne of grace, daughter. I dealt with that on the cross. Drop it. Leave it. Because where you're going, oh, the destination I have in mind, the flight we're about to board, but that bag doesn't get to come. Will you guys stand? It's the power, man, of the older I get, the more I know life has very, it's like 15% maybe what happens to you, 85% how you perceive it and what you do with it. And science is actually now telling us we can change our brains. The word of God has been saying that for 2,000 years, which I think is cool. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, the future you, by changing what you do, your behaviors, no, by changing the way you think, by receiving your new identity, righteous, holy, in Christ. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which, by the way, is good, pleasing, and perfect. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for salvation, and thank you for sanctification. I ask that you would bring to light in every mind and every heart what belief do I need to build to become who you see me as,
I pray for, I know without vision, people perish. So I pray for crazy amounts of vision to who we're becoming, even who I'll be a year from now. What do I need to build as far as beliefs go about myself and how you see me? And what beliefs, God, would you, would you cause them to surface? I believe they are right now. I believe we know all too well the beliefs we need to bury. Would you give us the courage to forgive? Would you give us the courage to confess? Would you give us the courage to bury and never dig it up again? We need you to supernaturally help us do that. 